0: Uh, it 's great to see everybody this morning and uh, it's it 's one of these weeks where there 's a lot going on there 's a lot of really good stuff going on there 's also some sad stuff happening with the loss of some loved ones uh, it 's amazing how those things kind of interact, how sometimes sorrow and joy really overlap and interact uh, the The video that you just watched we had picked out earlier in the week uh, uh, as a video to use during the offertory, and we had no idea that we were going to be having people pass away this week, but it was kind of apropos. And, uh, you know, it's amazing how God sometimes weaves our sorrows into joys and vice versa. And we've seen it all through the story of Joseph that we're tracking. And it's amazing how much the the redemption of God brings joy out of sorrow. So we're looking forward to seeing what God's doing in the life of Joseph this week. We're going to be talking about that. We're in God, the Taylor Part 5, the fifth installment in an eight sermon series about uh, Joseph. But before we get started in that, I want to pray with us. So bow your heads, please. And let's pray. Holy Father, you have been unrelenting with your plan. And at times we see bits and pieces of it. We see bits and pieces of our lives and our world that don't make a whole lot of sense from where we're standing, because, of course, we don't have your perspective and there are moments when we wonder, what are you doing and where is your plan? But the truth is, is you have been unhindered in your plan. And you have not been held back at all in your perspective. And your plan and your goodness and your blessing can't be chained and they can't be held back. And your redemptive thread will weave its way all through our world and all through our lives. And we see it in the story of Joseph because hindsight is 2020. But we believe it in our lives as well, even though we don't necessarily see it yet. We ask that the encouragement of the story of Joseph would speak to our lives so that we can bear up no matter what the situations are in our lives and live for you in the midst of it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in chapter 39 of the uh, book of Genesis. And as we've looked at the life of Joseph, what's been amazing, we're going to be at the end of 39 and then going into into chapter 40. And what's been amazing is to watch how Joseph's life has these amazing moments of prophetic pictures where God plants these little seeds and you know something awesome is going to happen in his life. There's like this calling and this blessing that happens. But no matter how much the moment is great that God just put into his life, or no matter how wonderful the sign is, it always seems to be followed by some tragic series of events that seem to be directly geared at derailing whatever it is that God's doing. And it's amazing. I mean, first of all, of course, you have Joseph is born miraculously from a woman who was barren and couldn't have kids. And finally, she has... Joseph, and it's this great moment, and there's so much rejoicing. But dad, Jacob, he can't just let good enough alone. He has to control it. And since this is a special special child, he's going to make sure he treats him special, and he's going to make sure that God's stuff happens, and he kind of controls the situation, and it turns bad. And then there's all sorts of turmoil in the family. And then Joseph, in the middle of the turmoil, has all these dreams. And the dreams from God are amazing dreams about All the bounty and all the blessing and all the goodness that God's going to give to his family and how he's going to make them shine and there's all this stuff. But there's part of the dreams that his brothers can't handle. And so they get angry with him and they try to stop God's blessing. They try to put the brakes on on God's blessing and they beat up their brother and they throw him into a pit and they sell him to slavery in Egypt. And every time so far that God does something good, it gets followed by all these tragic events. So now he ends up in Egypt, and as Josh talked to us about last week, he ends up at Potiphar's house, the, the captain of the guard, and he serves well. And again, God just completely blesses his life because everything that he does in his life just thrives, and it goes wonderfully. You know, everything's awesome. But then, again, no one can let good enough alone and just let God do his thing in Joseph's life. They have to dabble with it. And Potiphar's wife... She wants a piece of God's blessing. And so she tries to seduce him and tries to proposition him. He maintains his integrity and he won't fall into the temptation. She's falling into temptation left and right because she desperately wants to grab a hold of God's blessing and co-opt it for her own purposes. And everyone who sees this blessing either wants to stop it or make it happen more or use it for their own purposes and no one will just let God do his thing. And in this situation, she tries to come after Joseph and he uh, denies her. And because of it, she gets angry and turns the other way and now is like Joseph's brothers. And she accuses him of all things of taking advantage of her when that's exactly what she's trying to do to him and to God, is to take advantage. And so Potiphar, uh, it's, it's pretty implicit in there that Potiphar recognizes it's not all Joseph. He's furious, but he doesn't kill Joseph. He puts him into a prison And just like Joseph's brothers, sometimes the mercy is worse than the judgment itself, you know. If he had just killed Joseph, okay, but now he's in some foreign land where no one knows him. He's like in an eternal dead end in this prison with no one knowing the language, no one to post bail and nothing, no hope, no no, no, uh, light on the horizon, you know. And that's what's, so that's what leads us to where we're at today. If ever there was a moment for Joseph to want to give up, now's the moment. You know, every time it seems like even God in his life gets derailed, like even God's will can't happen in his life, because every time God tries to do something good, something else happens. And, and so even if he's a man of faith and believes that God's at work, it, it just gets to a point where it's easy to say, like, you know what, I give up, I quit. And so today we're talking about what life is like in the dungeon. Maybe you've never been in a physical dungeon. I hope not. Uh, but I bet you've been in some metaphorical dungeons before. You know, the the dungeon where you're at the dead end, where there's no hope, there's nothing in front of you, maybe you got that job and you really thought it was going to pan out. Like, Your boss was going to see you and you were going to work your way up through the ranks, but it turns out you're marooned into some corner of your business where no one ever sees you and day in and day out you do what you're supposed to do and no one ever recognizes it and you don't move forward and you can't see how God's plan is going forward and it just feels like you're in the dungeon. You're stuck. There's no way out. Or maybe the the dungeon for you is the fact that you're feeling neglected and alone. You invested yourself into relationships. And now they're not there for you in your hour of need. You know, maybe you've really expected your relationship with your spouse was going to go to a certain level and it just kind of plateaued and you guys, you ran into something and you hit something and you haven't been able to get past it. You feel stuck there, you feel alone, no one really understands, you're isolated. Sometimes it's our faith. We have given our lives to God and we've started to walk with him. But you know what? We expected there to be more in this relationship with God. And the stuff that I was struggling with five years ago, I'm still really struggling with. We can feel like we're stuck pretty easily. We can feel alone and isolated pretty easily. And the dungeon is these moments when we're tempted to get depressed, when we're tempted to just grow in despair and be like, you know what? I quit. I give up. You ever seen someone who, Jen and I have this thing where, if we're like out to eat and, the, and the, uh, you know, the person who's taking care of the table, the waitress or the waiter who's taking care of the table, that, that maybe they're having a real off day and they're just struggling and they're like extremely rude or something. And we'll, Jen will often lean over in a moment like that and just be like, I don't think they like their job. You know? And that, that's, you kind of see when someone hits a dead end, they just start to not like where they're at and you can feel it. You know, you can just feel it all over them. And sometimes that's us, where we just can't get ourselves there anymore. and We feel like we're stuck, whatever it is, in a relationship or in, a, in, a, in, a, in our faith or in a job or whatever. And these are the moments where you find people growing into places that you never thought they would be. You know, they used to be happy and they used to uh, be a go-getter and driven. And now they just eat a lot of potato chips and watch a lot of TV and don't think about the future because it feels like there is no future you know and so i might as well just self indulge and not really worry about it and kind of let themselves go and get lazy instead of driven or, or there's no hope you know and those are tough moments because that's the temptation of the dungeon is to feel like there's nothing beyond here there's nothing past this point so i might as well give up no one cares no one's looking there's no one to impress i might as well just give up you know and that's the mentality of the dungeon but what's amazing about this story is that Joseph, he doesn't buy it. He doesn't buy it at all. He doesn't go into dungeon mentality. It goes a completely different route. So let's pick up in the story, and we're in chapter 39. We'll pick up at verse 19, which was the end of last week's message. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. Then he burned with anger, and Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison... The Lord was with him. That's pretty cool, isn't it? The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. And so here it is. Joseph, even in a dungeon has the favor of God. You know what the favor of God is? Divine favor. This is God's blessing. What did did Joseph's dad, Jacob, what did he do wrong? Do you remember what he did wrong with, with Joseph? Somebody said it. Yeah, he favored him. He made him the favorite and it messed up the whole family, right? Because he made him his favorite. And God says here that he showed him favor. See, the difference between... God, who's the ultimate dad, and Jacob, the human dad, is that Jacob sees something special about his son, and so he inappropriately shows him this favor and makes him his favorite. But God, our Father, knows exactly how to bless us in a way that's exactly what we need in the moment. And he shows us favor. And his favor is relentless. See, this is the thing about God's favor. It's like his grace. It's the goodness that we don't deserve. And Joseph's life is not by any means charmed. I mean, this guy's lived worse of a life than I would, I would wager worse of a life than probably anyone in this room. I mean, yeah, there's been the physical abuse. There's been the mental abuse. Then he's been beat up by his brothers. He's been sold into slavery, literally. He's in a foreign country with no one around. This guy's had a really rugged life. And yet every place where he goes, God finds a way to bless him. And God finds a way to do something awesome in his life. So here he is in a dungeon with no one around, and God makes him thrive right in the middle of the dungeon. What's awesome about God's blessing and God's favor is that prison bars can't hold it out. Broken relationships can't stop God's blessing in our lives. Dead-end jobs, they don't keep God from showing favor to us. We're God's children. And no matter what's happening in our lives, if we will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all the other things will be added unto us. He puts everything in place, and he tells us to keep our eyes focused on him and to keep going after what he's called us to. And no matter what our circumstances, he will find favor to put on us in those circumstances, and he'll give us exactly what we need. And that's what happens. So here he is, marooned in this dungeon, and God starts blessing him, and his life just takes off in the middle of a dungeon. So, okay, you're going to be a prisoner? But you know what? You're going to be the best prisoner ever. And so that's, that's the way it is, you know, and that's how God takes care of him. So that's what's going on with Joseph, and uh, it picks up in 40. The story starts to pick up some traction in, in chapter 40. So sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected, So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? Really? We're in the dungeon, dude. (laughs) Did you not get the memo? Like, why are you so perky? I'm going to smack you. We're in the dungeon. And that's what's happening here. You can tell, like, these guys, they got dungeon mentality, Like, they got it, okay? They're depressed. This isn't working. We're in despair. And you know what? God gave us these dreams and everything, or they didn't know God gave them to them, but there's these dreams, and normally dreams back then meant a huge thing to people, and it would have been a great ray of hope, but they're like, the people who were supposed to interpret our dreams, we can't even get access to them. So here we go again, down in the dungeon. Have you ever noticed that when someone's in the dungeon spot, that even if, like, something good happens to them, they can't see it as good anymore? Like, it's like everything now is negative, and you can't see the positive in it. And that's what's going on. Like these guys just got hooked up. God Almighty just gave them dreams to, to tell them the future of their lives. And instead of thinking, wow, there's some possibility, there's hope on the horizon. No, they're just like, oh, you know, and they're more angry and they're more dejected. And, and so Joseph, he's like, you know, what's wrong with you guys? Why are your faces so, so sad? So verse eight, we both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. This is an awesome verse right here. Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Let me tell you about just how awesome this verse is. First of all, who's Joseph focusing on in this scenario? God, exactly. And who else? The people in need. The dude's in the middle of a dungeon, rejected. Life is difficult for this guy. And yet he still isn't throwing a pity party, and he's still seeing beyond himself and caring for those around him. Life is not about Joseph just because life is tough. Life is still about God, and therefore is still about my neighbor. And he's still interested in how he can help his neighbor because he still trusts in the living God in the middle of the dungeon. That's an awesome thought. It's an awesome thought when you watch someone whose life is going through massive difficulties and yet those difficulties haven't turned them depressed and inward and despairing. Instead, it's caused them to be compassionate to others who are in difficulty. That's a beautiful thing. And that's what's happening with Joseph. What's more in this verse that's absolutely phenomenal is he says, don't interpretations belong to God? Do they worship the same God that he does? No, they're Egyptians. They worship like Ra, the sun god, and all these other gods. And he comes into this situation and he says... Don't interpretations belong to God as if they know, you know? And, but what he's saying is, is he recognizes that no matter where he is, that God is not just his God. He's the God of the universe. Like this guy, it's like, okay, if I have a friend who, you know, I know we both believe in the same God and there's something going on in his life, well then, Todd, you, whatever you got going on, let's pray, you know? And, and we trust that God's going to take care of that. But what happens when I'm at work? And what happens when I'm in my neighborhood? Or what happens when I'm with my extended family and those people who don't believe in God, who don't trust, or who like they don't want anything to do with me and my faith? Is God still their God? Is He still God even though people don't believe in Him? Absolutely. And is His power and blessing available to them even though they don't believe? It must be because He already gave them the dream. He already gave them the dream. And so what Joseph recognizes, and this is awesome about this situation, is Joseph is in the middle of the dungeon And they get these dreams, and they see it as a a bad thing. But Joseph is the one who believes in the God who's making, uh, making everything work, and he sees this dream, and he's the one who says, you know what, when I look around, I realize that no one else in this prison realizes that these guys just got this dream from God. No one else in this situation has been communicating with God or has been in relationship with God, and so therefore I am the only one who's capable of helping them interpret their lives right now and tell them what God's doing. And this is what happens in the dungeon. Sometimes when we're in the dungeon, God doesn't have us there, just, it's not just about us. I mean, sometimes there's all sorts of other people who are in this difficult spot that we can relate to now and they can relate to us. And our job in the middle of this thing is to help them interpret their lives according to God. There's no one else around who's going to tell them what's going on in their life. But here is the moment where I can say, look, this is what God's doing in your life. Maybe not in the great detail that Joseph can, but I'm there to be salt and light, so to speak, light in the dungeon. Okay, so Joseph is all about it, and he starts helping them out. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes, and I squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. Okay, so he has this dream. He tells the dream to Joseph. Joseph said the interpretations belong to who? God. As soon as he's done the dream, what does Joseph say? He says, this is what your dream means. Does he stop and go ask God? So how in the world does he know if the interpretation belongs to God, how is it that as soon as the guy's done talking, he's like, oh, yeah, this is what it means? How does that work? Because God's communicating to him, and he's learned to understand how God communicates. You see, this guy, while he's in the dungeon, he's been forming a deep relationship with God. And he's been drawn close to God. And now as these guys communicate, he's learned over and over again. As he's been in Potiphar's house scrubbing floors for hours on end with nothing else to do. As he's been in the dungeon sitting around with nothing better to do. The whole time he's been processing and he's had no one else to communicate with. So he's learned to communicate with God. And so now in the middle of this guy telling his dream, by the time it's done, the whole time he's hearing the dream, he's just, he has this thought. Oh, I wonder if it means this. And it's like he knows that that's a God thought. God planted that thought in my head. I know that's God. And so by the time the guy's done telling him his dream, he's already like, okay, here's the interpretation of your dream. You know, because that's where he's at with God in this moment. It's pretty cool. All right, so this is what it means, Joseph said to him. Three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Don't count on it, Joseph. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. So he gives the guy the interpretation to his dream. And, and what's amazing about this interpretation is like it's in three days, everything's going to be perfect, man. Just hang in there. Can you imagine like if you're in the middle of a prison with a guy? and he has this dream, and you're actually going to tell him in three days he's going to get out of prison and that he's going to have his old job back. Like, that's great news, and so you want to be the bearer of good news, but what if you're wrong? You know, you're a real chump if in three days this thing doesn't work out. He better have confidence in, in, in what he's hearing and what he's sensing, and he does. He just says it boldly. Okay, so get this. Verse 16, When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I, too, had a dream. So this guy, he's like, wow, that guy just hit the jackpot with his dream. I want a piece of it. So on my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. Again, snap, there it is. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Wow. Wow. That one didn't go as expected. It was a curveball. Now see, here is, here's what happens and the principle in this thing is that when Joseph can be the guy who speaks openly to, to someone else about their dream and he, he gives like a favorable interpretation, he's the, he's the good guy in that moment, isn't he? Like he's like, oh yeah, like I'm the guy who now I can tell you like in, in three days your life's going to be awesome and it's wonderful to be a messenger of good news. But we're about to find out whether or not Joseph was doing that just because he wanted to be the bearer of good news or whether he was still a messenger of God and still living for God because now the next thing happens and it's all rugged, you know? Like the next word is brutal and yet he still says it matter-of-factly. Here's the principle. Have you ever, have you ever been in a spot where, uh, you know, you know that your friend's really struggling with something? and you just you pray for them or you read the scriptures and you, and you just give them an encouraging word. I'm sure it'll work out. You know this is, It's all good. Like I'll pray for you or you know, I, I think it's going to work out. That's the easier thing to say. But then how about when your friend is messing up? They're bombing. They're doing something they shouldn't be doing and it's not working out. And now all of a sudden, are you still going to be the friend in their life who will step up and say, look, this isn't how it should be, man. I care about you but this is what God's word says, and this is inappropriate. See, the authenticity of the encouraging word is built on the willingness to say the negative word. Do you know what I mean? And I don't mean negative like being mean, but I do mean like, unless we're willing to tell someone the hard truth, then the encouraging word doesn't mean quite as much. It doesn't carry as much weight. But if we're, if we, if we're a friend who, when our friend is messing up, we're willing to say, yeah, Yo, you're messing up. Then when we're also willing to say, Later on when we say, yo, it's going to work out and it's going to be all good, it means a whole lot more. And that's Joseph is not just working to get friends in this thing. He's, he's speaking honestly about what God has put on his heart. So verse 20. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. The third day, okay, this is the day of truth. And he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that once again he put the cup in into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had said to, uh, just as Joseph had said to them, in his interpretation. So God comes through; he had learned to hear from God. This was the interpretation; it all worked out in three days. It, it came and went, and it all went according to plan. Now the last verse: the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph; he forgot him. Thank you for that. And so here we are back in the dungeon, right? After all of that, after all this stuff happened where it looked like he finally had a way out and God hooked it up and brought these people to him and he interpreted the dreams and God hooked him up and everything just looks like it's going to work out and then the cupbearer forgets him. And just like everything else in his life, when it seems like it's going a certain direction boom, it hits a wall. No one cares. No one's here. I'm neglected. I'm forgotten. I'm in a dead end. And Joseph continues to plug along and trust God instead of people. Here's the takeaways. This is it. Here's the takeaways of this message and this story. First of all, when we are in the most difficult of circumstances, when it feels like we're in a dead end, we have an option. We can choose to believe that this is it. And so I'm just going to stop working hard and stop knuckling down and I'm not going to dig in and do my best anymore because what's it worth? Or what we can say is, God is working right now, right in this moment, to develop my finest gifts. Think about this. Joseph, what was his job going to be when he leaves the prison? Anybody know? Second in command of all of Egypt. He was basically going to be king of Egypt. He was going to administrate the country God's teaching him how to administrate a prison right now so that he learns at least microcosmically how to administrate a country. God is in the middle of teaching him how to deal with people and teaching him how to manage. How's he going to get to that position? Do you remember? We're going to hear about it next week, but how does he get to that position? What does Pharaoh need from Joseph? An interpretation of a dream. So what's God doing with him in the prison? He's teaching him how to interpret the dream. Lots of times when we're stuck in a dead end and it feels like we can't get anywhere, God's working on us. And, he, and, and he's doing something. And we've got to hang in there and be patient and just keep doing day in and day out, putting one foot in front of the other and believing that God has a plan and still applying myself. And if I do, it's going to pay off in the long run. Josh and I knew when, when, I, when I graduated from Moody uh, a long time ago, Um, we, we graduated from school and, uh, Josh graduated a year ahead of me. And, uh, but when I graduated from school, we both at the same time had very clear direction that we were being called to this church, Parker Ford church. We were at the other building over in Bethel church road, and we had clear direction that we were being called back here. And so we came back here and we had other plans. Both of us had other plans. Josh was already a youth pastor in Michigan, and I was leading a bunch of guys over to Ireland for... This thing we were doing over there. And but our plans folded up because we felt clear directing that we were supposed to be with this church. So we come to this church and for a little while we had some fun and some things were working, but then it never worked out. And we had to go and our separate ways. Josh went back to Michigan and I went to Lebanon and then Ephraim and we and, and it just didn't quite happen. And the whole time, honestly, like I was like, I knew I was directed to go back there. This was what I was meant meant for, you know? And the whole time it was like We were in the dungeon. Like it felt like the dead end. Like what happened back there? Like I know we were led there. What happened? And the whole time we were gone, as I'm looking back, it's amazing what God was doing. I was with a church plant in Lebanon where he taught me about church planting. I was with a, a, a church in Ephrata Um, Where it was a real established, a large established congregation where I'm learning how to do church and we're doing a replant with the traditional church, but doing kind of a church planting thing. And He's developing all the skills and the understanding that I need in the meantime. Josh, same thing. He can tell his story about what happens in Michigan same thing with the church. There's all sorts of stuff that needed to happen at Parker Ford Church for us to be ready to go where we needed to go. We need to be more open to understanding how change works and working through it. We needed to have faith because God's called us to some pretty risky things as a church and the church has stepped in and done a great job. And so the whole time where it looked like a dead end, it wasn't a dead end at all. God was developing things. And that's the way it works. But we can get depressed and give up, and then it's just over, right? Because now he's trying to develop in us the finest gifts, and he's put stuff in front of us. But instead of being right here where he called me, I'm just like, forget it, man. This isn't what I thought it was. I'm eating potato chips, watching TV, drinking a bunch of beer, you know? And like, forget it. And that's the mentality that I want to grab a hold of in that moment, you know? And that's not what he's calling me to do. He's calling me to apply myself. I have you here for a reason, and it may not look important, but it's really, really important whatever's in front of you. Today is the day that the Lord has made. Rejoice. Be glad in it. Apply yourself. Do your job well. Love your spouse, even if they're not loving you the way you thought they were going to. No matter what it is, dig in and do what's right in front of you because God has given you this day to honor and to glorify Him. And who knows, it might be the stepping stone to becoming a king of Egypt. You never know. The second part of it is that, one is, the, the, the first is that when we're in that holding pattern and it looks like nothing's going on, God's developing our finest gifts and we need to hold on to them. The second thing is when it feels like we're alone, huh, this is the moment to find the deepest friendship of all. This is the moment to know our God. I, you know, a couple of years ago, I was working at Vanguard in a warehouse at Vanguard, and uh, up until this moment, I had never really had a problem with relationships. Relationships for me came easy. I was always interacting with people and had plenty of friends. I got to Vanguard, and I was training in ministry, and they caught wind of the fact that I was training in ministry, and it was like kryptonite, man. I mean, it was, a, it was like a plague, actually, is what it was. They wanted These guys wanted nothing to do with me when they heard that I was going into ministry. It was so bad. It was one of those things where it was like I'd get my lunch, and I'd go sit down at the table, and they'd all get up and bounce. You know, <laughs> I was like... Really? You know, and uh, it was like that that crazy. And so like I used to take a shuttle, Jen and I lived in Potstown at the time and I'd take a shuttle from Pottstown over to Vanguard and I'd get there an hour and a half early. And there was moments where it was like I was working at like just trying to create a positive work environment here, you know. So like there'd be guys working in the warehouse and I it wasn't I wasn't even on the clock yet and I'd be like, Hey, you want me to help you out with that? They'd be like, No, I'm good, thanks. You know, and just like wanted nothing to do with me. So like what I what I started doing was I when I got to to uh to Vanguard, I'd go into my desk and I'd just open my Bible and I'd start reading it. And I, I'd read down what it said and then I'd rewrite in my own language what I think it's saying so I could really start to understand what this thing is. For like a year and a half to two years I did this. I learned more about the Lord and more about the scriptures in that year and a half than my entire Bible college career combined. And it wasn't, and that's nothing against my Bible college career. It was great, you know, the, the education. But it's amazing when you're alone how much you need God, how much you can actually find that his presence is here with you. It's in the absence of the things we usually lean on that we realize how much we can actually find God. But when we're used to leaning on everything else, we don't need God as much, so we don't find him as much. But in these moments when we feel alone, that's when we find out just how present God is. And I love how when Joseph's in the prison, it says, and God was with him. And it's it's like, he knew it. He knew God was with him. You can tell he learned to communicate with him. When the dreams were told, he knew what they meant. It was like he was, he was right there with God. And so maybe you moved into the area. A bunch of you have moved into the area recently. I mean, if you moved into the area and you don't have friends, you're trying to get connected at church, but you're not quite there yet. You know, like it's, relationships take some time and you might feel isolated or alone. Man, this is the moment. God wants to know you. And what's more is, is there's a decent chance that you're going to be able to build relationships that, that otherwise wouldn't have happened. I mean, in Vanguard, I ended up meeting these guys who were completely different than me, culturally, from a different uh, area, and, and just so different than me. But we had a common bond. They were, the, they were the rejected dungeon people, too. And we ended up praying together at Vanguard. You know, we ended up being kind of prayer partners, which was just weird for me at the, at the time. But these guys, like, they just kind of got a hold of me, recognized what was going on. They're like, you want to pray. So, Okay, you know, and these whole new relationships started that are great relationships today. I mean, if you've met Dave Smith, he taught a financial class here and he's preached here before. I I met him in that moment, same situation, you know, and it was was amazing. And anyway, when we're in the middle of these situations, God has an ability to show us things that we otherwise wouldn't see because our eyes open. And these are the stepping stones. The last point of this, the last kind of application point, is that when no one else is watching, And when it feels like, you know what, here I am in this dungeon, and my dad is back in Israel, and my brothers, they don't care. The guy who I was serving faithfully, Potiphar, he threw me into the prison. I don't think anybody really cares what I do anymore. I might as well do what I want to do, you know. And I've tried the whole, like, God thing, and that's not really working out. Now that no one's watching, huh, what could I do, you know. And here is the moment when our faith really does get tested, Here's the, here's the time when our integrity gets tested. When no one's watching, there's no performance, we're alone. What are we going to do? What are we going to do in those moments? Are we going to still believe that God is here? Are we still going to trust that his way is the best way? Or are we going to say, I got this. You know, I know how to make myself enjoy myself, you know, when all this is going on. And these are the moments that test us. God has us here, right here, right now, in this day, in this moment. And he's got a plan. And just like Joseph, his life, he had a plan for Joseph. And God, the tailor, has not stopped weaving wonderful things out of Joseph's life. Joseph just can't see it. But Joseph chooses to trust, to knuckle down today, and to do what is in front of him, and to do it well, because he believes that God hasn't abandoned him. God's still there. So whatever your situation is, Any one of these things, a relationship that's hit the dead end, the work that's hit the dead end, the faith that seems to be plateauing, just today, think about today. Is God with you? He's with you. Does he have a plan? He has a plan. It might be hard to believe it for tomorrow or the next day, but I'm going to believe it for today, and I'm going to serve him faithfully. Let's pray.